This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Stay standing for the reading while Victoria Kate comes. All right, I will be reading Matthew 1, verses 18 through 24. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Come on, give God a hand for that. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you again for being part of the house. Um, how many of you think this year has been weird? <laughs> you know it's been weird when people in their 90s are going, this is as weird as I've ever seen it. So, uh, wow, you've been around a long time. It's weird. Uh, at the top of the year... Um, it was January. I, I was some personal, you know, acquaintances of mine. Just as we get together, I, I made a statement. I said, "Well, buckle up. This is going to be an interesting year." And I said that kind of jokingly because every political year, I love politics, but I, um, you know, I follow it and try to figure it out. But I said it's a it's a uh, election year, so it's going to get rough. There'll be division. We'll loot. We'll riot. We'll we'll do race wars. And we'll stir up stuff because that's what Americans do during political year when we want to elect the person we want. I never factored in that there would be a virus that would come that would create such havoc and panic and shut down businesses and churches and families and schools. And so about, you know, March of this year, it, it just kind of all came like a whirlwind and things just, man, started snowballing with conversations about depression, fear, anxiety, some disease, we don't know, we do know, yes we don't, just give us 14 days to flatten the curve, that's been nine months, it's just like, can I die, can I not die, will I die, what if I don't, no, it's just a cold, no, you could die tomorrow, it's just the flu, and then it's fake, no, it's not fake, it's real, it was manufactured, no, it's from God, he's doing it to us, no, the devil did it, and this all the, you know, when you're in religion, all the religion that gets muddled up in life, and I felt like I was doing pretty good. And then Robin tells me her dad has to have open heart surgery. So that was kind of not on our bucket list for 2020. He had to have, I think it was quadruple bypass. And uh, he did very well, came through it very well. And uh, is up running, doing, doing well now. And then I'll never forget the phone call I get from Robin, which was, Honey, pray they found a spot on my breast. And I said, Ah, oh, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. So she went for about three or four more uh, pretty deep ultrasounds and we got the phone call it's cancer after the biopsy and I can assure you that in January 2020 I wasn't expecting part of our playbook our bucket list that we would remotely have to deal with cancer in our family and so you know Robin and I prayed we gathered the elders we got wisdom from people and if you don't know the story she chose to have a mastectomy and so she went through surgery and has been doing well. And then they said, well, based on the cancer, we highly recommend chemo. And I'm like, no, we're not doing chemo. And, uh, but we prayed about it and felt like that was the way to go. And so Robin's doing four rounds of chemo, which is why she's typically not here, maybe just not safe. And if she is, she's in the back, but she does send her love. Well, I wasn't expecting that. And and then this week, uh, last week, I asked you to pray for Olivia and Michael. Josh, if everybody just give Josh Hooper a hand for leading today. 
Josh stepped up the plate for Michael and Olivia because they're in the hospital with their brand new newborn who has not been able to gain weight. But about five days ago, we got the report that little Johnny Love has cystic fibrosis. And so we were not ready for that one either. And so you start getting the questions from our own family, what's going on? Uh, a diagnosis of cancer, a diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. The tears that have been shed in our family over the last three months are probably enough for most of humanity. The bathtub talks, the cries, the what ifs, the why me's, the what's going on. I thought God was a healer. He is a healer. If he is a healer, then why and what and what should we do and did we do something wrong? And I mean, just normal, normal human conversations of uh, trying to, why are we in this battle? Well, it's a battle. Let's suck it up and fight. Let's, let's believe, uh, you know, and, and all of it's just coming nonstop. You know, Robin in the middle of chemo and now uh, driving back and forth to, uh, you know, the, the hospital for Michael and Olivia and what's going on there. And so a wife in the bathtub crying for a grandbaby, a wife fearful about cancer, girls, kids, life, what if, me, why, has, has probably been the last three months of our life. I've tried <laughs> to the best of my ability to stay strong and to keep shepherding you and giving you the best I got. And, uh, but I don't like to pretend either. I don't like to just stand up because preachers can do that. We can just preach a really good sermon, chalk it up, go home. You know, and drink our woes away. But as I prayed about, I've been gone for the last two weeks. I've had some friends speaking, and it's just kind of helped me get a hold of what's been happening. I, I put this graphic together, and I called it the faith of a skeptic, because I just want to talk to you about faith, and why faith is important, and why we need it, and why it's so critical. I guess if you would have asked me at the top of the year what I thought about faith, I I may have given you a different answer. I hope I wouldn't, but I feel like I may have versus what I've worked out in the last four months of faith and why it's so needed. Um, I, I put a picture of Jesus in a, in a Christmas tree because there's just so much weirdness between the two. Like St. Nicholas is this good dude that did great things for poor people and helped people. He lives in a mystery land. He has little elves that do his bidding. You can't really get there. It's a magical place and he does magical things and he helps people. And then you grow up and when you become an adult, that, that Santa Claus that you so believed in kind of became, well, it's fairy tale. And you're like, oh gosh, man. But even though I'm 55, we still play Santa. I don't know where you are in your fate, but we still lie to our children and tell them that Santa's coming and you better go to bed because he's coming. We lie the whole way through and then we ask God to forgive us of lying and then they grow up and go, why did you lie? And we're got because it was fun. I mean, that's why we lied because it's fun, but don't y'all ever lie. <laughs> so it's that weird, uh, uh, but they've turned out good. She just read the Bible and she's half normal. And uh, so, and I don't think they ever came to me and said, wow, you crushed us by telling us he was real, and then we found out he wasn't real. And we all just kind of accept that, right? Like, yeah, that's just life. Like, it was fun to believe it. Some people don't even go there at all. It's just anti-Santa all the way. But most people are cool to play Santa and be Santa, and then you just know somewhere somebody realizes it's all fake, but it was fun anyway. But then you throw Jesus in, and it's kind of similar because it's the same thing. It's a dude that helped people, that said he was God, that lived thousands of years ago that we've never met, that lives in a magical place. We wouldn't use the word magical, but it's a floating city full of gold with a bunch of, not elves, but angels that do his work. And he comes and goes to the planet. He shows up at the planet. He leaves. He lives in all of us, but he lives up there, but he lives in you, but he lives in me, but he's there. He's everywhere, but he's not everywhere. He's just there. He's preparing a home, but we are his home. And it's a floating city, and there's flying horses. Kind of feels like a unicorn, but it's not a unicorn. It's a flying horse with angels with big wings, with spirits, and a God we've never seen. But we talk about him, and then we say, you should talk back. That's called prayers of a skeptic. And then he talks back to me, and then you say, well, wait a minute. God talks back to you. What does he sound like? I don't know. I can't explain it, but I know it's God. How do you know it's God? I don't know, but I felt like it's God, so it's about feelings. No, not really. It's just his voice. How do you know his voice? I don't know. I just know it's his voice. Why do you know it's not your voice or somebody else? Are you hearing voices? Are you okay? Are you psycho? And that's Christianity. 
flying horses, floating cities, a mystery man called Jesus we've never met. We believe in him. We follow a book that's thousands of years old. Nobody knows any of the authors. We tell you if you live the book, your life will be better. And some archaic thousand-year-old book tells me how to live, and I try to live that way. And we call that, though, faith. Now, here's the difference between Santa and Jesus. Uh, whether St. Nick was real, maybe he was. I don't know. But at 55, through my life and my issues and problems, I can say without a doubt, I still believe more in Jesus today than I did when they first told me about him. So I didn't lose it like Santa Claus. It got stronger the older I got. So that's kind of weird. Like, okay, I believe in this. I'm going to use the word magic. He's not magical. But I believe in this magical dude named Jesus that lives in a place called heaven. He's making a home for me. I'm going to go there. But now he's with me. But he's with me now. But I'm going to take me there. And I hope when I get in line and I stand in front of a pearly gate, because that's what they tell me. They're going to call my name. I hope they know my name. I hope I get in. I hope I make it. Fingers crossed. I'm just trying to be a good person here. I hope he doesn't kill me until that time. And then factor in the devil. There's somebody that's really trying to kill you. He's called the devil. And then you don't know are things coming at me from God or the devil. Was that the devil doing it to me? Or is that God? Or is that just me? And then you get all that muddled up. And we call that faith. And, but here's what I know about this. At 55 through my battles, I believe more in that than anything else in my life. And I've never seen him. I've never met him. I've never been to heaven. I've never met the guys that wrote the Bible and the ladies that wrote the Bible or the stories in the Bible. But I genuinely have had an encounter because of faith. All right? And I'm, I'm willing to die for that one. Like I really would be. I, I've worked that because I used to say, I don't know if they, if they threatened me, would I die? And I would always try to be spiritual and go, yes. And then I would really go, I just don't know if they're going to hack my head off if I'm really that solid on this. But over the years, in good people and good discipleship, I've landed on that this mystical figure, Jesus, is real. And he's alive and he gives us faith. So what I felt to do was take the month of December and talk to you about faith from the Christmas story, but trying to do it in a way of how I've worked it out and how I've lived it. And right now my family's in the middle of a big faith battle. And so I figure why not just bring you into it and get you involved in it to stand with us and to agree, but at the same time to understand faith because it is difficult to understand it. And what is faith and do I really have it? So if, if it's all right, I'll just take about the next four weeks and we'll just hang on this topic and I'll download it the best I can. I pray when you walk out the door today, it helps you and inspires you and gives you hope. So uh, let's, let's just run through it a minute on this faith and look at a scripture. Uh, this is probably the, like, the quintessential definition of it. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see. So watch this. This is important about faith is that this tells me that there are going to be moments in your life where what's real around you becomes hopeless. Reality around you becomes hopeless. And that there will be times in your life where you're just not seeing what you believe. Like, I thought God was a healer, but I'm not getting healed here. And I thought God was a blesser, but I'm about to lose my house. So what this does tell me about faith is it touches a realm that deals with a hopeless, unseen world. Meaning that faith deals a lot with things you can't see, with things you can't figure out. If it was all logic, you wouldn't need faith. Right? The reason it's called faith is it just doesn't always fit neatly in a box of logic. It's just hard to reason. Uh, I would love to be able to just say faith is this, but that's logical. It, and it's just faith is illogical, which makes it weird anyway because now we all look like lunatics. You know, we got faith, but you feel more like a lunatic than you do a real strong Christian because you're believing things you can't even see. And why would you dare do that? If you can't see it, why would you believe? So, But what it tells me is 
that God knows when I'm on this planet, I'm going to bump into things that will rob me of hope and I'll feel like I'm in a dark place with no clarity. I don't know if you've ever been there. I would imagine most of you in the room have. We're human. But I would imagine somewhere in your walk of life, you've bumped into somewhere you felt hopeless. Like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of this. I don't know if we can afford it. I don't know if my marriage will work, my health, a doctor report, a child, whatever. And then times in your life when you, you just don't have clarity. Things are confusing. They're frustrating. You, you just almost feel like washing your hands and giving up. But the thing about faith is faith is, is critical for this. Faith is critical to keep you on point when you can't see the point. It's to keep you steady when the boat is rocking. It's to hold true to peace when you have zero reason to be peaceful. To give you joy when there's no reason, Shiloh, a smile should be on your face at all. Now, people who don't understand faith will call that hypocritical. What are you smiling toward when you ain't got a reason to smile? Because I have faith. And faith is illogical. So for people who don't understand faith, your life will look like a lunatic. Why do you believe in this person that's called Messiah that you've never seen and read a book that's so archaic and believe in a God that's a spirit that lives in some fantasy world? Do you believe that? And you're like, yeah, dude. Because people that don't have faith, it feels like you're a lunatic because humanity needs logic. I need science. Now, here's the weird thing. The God that created it all gave us science but said you can't always rely on the science. Because you won't always be able to put math to it and you won't always be able to figure it out and it won't always be able to, this is a terrible word, be Googleable. <laughs> I felt not to even say that before I said it. Not everything in life is Googleable. <laughs> that feels like a tattoo. Like, what is that? That's Googleable, man. That's right there. It's Googleable. <laughs> Meaning that uh, Google is not going to be able to tell you what's going on necessarily even though they'll give you all the stats behind it. So here's something that's critical as we move through this faith. It's this statement. Faith is impossible once you lose hope. Like the goal is not to ruin your faith. The devil has zero ability to ruin your faith, Quinn. Zero. Larry, he cannot take your faith. But the one thing he can take is hope. And once he gets you hopeless, faith is impossible. Because faith is the substance of hope. So the devil's smart enough to know, I don't have to worry about your faith. All I have to do is make you feel hopeless. And when you feel hopeless, I've got you. I'll get you hopeless about your health, hopeless about your future, hopeless about your marriage, hopeless about you ever getting married, hopeless about your money. I'll just create in you a sense of anxiety and fear that will create a sense of hopelessness because if I can ever get you there, you this is just my opinion, you will never have strong faith when you're hopeless. And you will, watch, because faith is connected to the illogical, when a human becomes hopeless, we always run to logic. We will run to porn, alcohol, addictions, hobbies, uh, our personality traits come out. Because when you get squeezed by hopelessness, what's in you comes out. The one thing I know about hypocritical Christianity, it's always defined in a pressure moment. Because genuine faith, when you're squeezed, genuine faith comes out. You cannot fake it in a problem. You might can fake it here. This is church, right? This is Sunday. You can fake Jesus here. But you can't fake his faith when pressure is pushing in on all sides and you literally feel like you're losing it. In that moment, what is in you and has been put in you will come out of you. And it will define the kind of person you are. Now what it's going to do is it's going to try to rob you of hope. So the moment you bump into a problem, the first thing, this is my 
my battle anyway has always been. The first initial response has always been logic. Why me? What's going on? Where's God? I don't know. Why did this happen? What I thought God, I, if he's a healer, then why? And I thought I was a giver, then why? And they told me to do this and I did and it didn't happen. Logic. It starts coming in. I got to understand it. I got to have knowledge. I got to know. I got to know. Google, WebMD, all the stuff. You know, and we did that sad. But I mean, Robin and I, more Robin, uh, you know, when, when you've got cancer and you've got the thing and they tell you what kind, I mean, she spent days Googling. And uh, this is just my testimony and hers. Every day I would come home, she's this much shorter and this much more hopeless because of the, this will happen to you. This will do this. This cancer did that. These people died. Here's your stats. And I finally just texted her one day because I live with all women, so I have to be real gentle how I say anything because if I say anything, they can start crying and, and I don't mean, I, they're like, you're as mean. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just like trying to be bold. No, it's not bold. It's mean. I was like, oh God. So now I just sit on the toilet, tinkle sitting down and this makes life easier when you live with five women and I'm the only man. So I'm trying like, and I even told Robin because I guess she does better texting. So she texts me. She's like, I just feel like you don't get it. And I'm like, I don't understand. What do you mean I don't get it? Of course I get it. I know where you are. I just feel like you don't really understand what I'm going through. I said, well, well sure I would understand what you're going through. And she just says, well, I just, I just want you to, uh, to have compassion and cry with me and understand. And I said, well, well of course. I, I was up all night crying over this. Of course I'm crying. And then, oh, this wasn't good. Because I text it back. Well, oh, guys, don't ever start that in a text. That in and of itself should have said, this is going to go nowhere. So I did well, comma, because I'm anal about my grammar being right in a text. I'm well, comma. You did ask God that you wanted to marry a strong man who would be the priest of the home and lead you strongly when things were falling apart. Now that I'm trying to lead you strongly, I can't even believe you won't let me lead you strongly because you want a man of God that will give you the word of God. And then you go right through the middle of hell and then you want me to sit down and just cry and pout with you. Oh, my, my thumbs are burning. I just, I, my, my hands look like that when I'm done. I'm like, oh. Oh, I should have, I should have, I should have. I didn't, I should have. Don't know why I passed her, but I, I should have listened to God. Don't send that. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, I did not. I sent it. I hit sin, and I hit sin in pride. She ought to appreciate how strong of a man of God I am. It's what she wanted anyway. She wanted. A, she even told me before I married, I want a man that can be strong because I'm a strong, independent woman and I need somebody to lead me. And I'm like, I was 24 then. I was like, I got you. <laughs> I had abs back then. I got you, baby. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose and I'm typing, I thought you wanted a strong man. And so now, in the middle of all the chaos, hopelessness comes. I've got cancer. I read all this terrible news. I married a jerk. He won't even cry for me when I want him to cry. I'm on the other end going, God, I don't even know why I married her. I can't even believe she won't let me help her. She's so independent. Right? And what happens is it wasn't that the problem got any bigger. It's that hopelessness started growing. Now, when hopelessness grows, your problem feels bigger. That's why you can go to somebody and say, man, I got a huge problem. And then I share it with her. And she, Johnny shares back. She said, well, that's not that big of a deal. I'll pray. Because it doesn't feel like a bigger deal because she's not hopeless. I am. So that's why sometimes it feels like people don't care because when you're really hopeless and you share it with them, they have great hope. So there is a truth about hopelessness that your problem doesn't get any bigger, but it feels like it's impossible. Because I've, I've read the stats, I feel. And so here's my definition of hopeless. Your situation, whatever it would be, in our case it was a breast cancer diagnosis and now it's with our granddaughter who's been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Your situation convinces you that there is no God and that I'll never get anything from Him even if there were a God. That's how it all starts. It all starts with, where's God? I thought God, and why God? 
If, if, if all these babies are dying, where's God? Why God? And if there is a good God, why does he let murder happen? Why did he let my uncle rape me? Why, 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 why? If there is a God, there probably isn't a God because if there was, he wouldn't have let all this happen to me and so therefore there's probably not a God. But then somebody convinces you there is a God and then you get all guilty like, well, even if there is, he probably won't do any good for me. I'll just, this, this problem has come my way and now I'm just in a slump of hopelessness because maybe I believe there's a God, but I don't know if I'll get anything from Him. Because I get a hold of stupid teaching that tells me things like, well, God's putting you through this to teach you a lesson. And the reason this problem has come and this sickness is God wants to purify you. The reality of that is it's just stupid. God doesn't purify me with sickness and He doesn't give me truth through sickness. The Holy Spirit is the truth giver. And the Holy Spirit comes to give me truth and he comes to lead me to truth and that is how God teaches me. God doesn't teach me through problems and pain. He teaches me through the Holy Spirit. But what problems and pain does is push Mark out to determine what has the Holy Spirit already been doing in me. Because it will reveal the real me. Pain will reveal the real me of who I really am at the core of my being. So what I'd like to do over the next few minutes is just kind of give you how I've been working my faith through this time. Hopefully give it to you that will help you and you can apply it and you can battle with it and I'll do it as, as best I can. So this is kind of the thought I've put together. Is that the reason God asks faith for us is because we will at some point in our walk on human earth, we will bump into something that feels impossible. It's almost a guarantee. I wish I could say it's not true, but I find more so the older I get. It is just true. When you live on planet Earth, you will hit something in your life that will feel impossible. It just There's no hope for me. It could be a marriage issue, a health issue, a job thing. But, but in my 30 years pastoring, I've had... Gosh, just multiple conversations. And in my own life, I've had moments where I have felt like this is just impossible. When Olivia texted the family and said they diagnosed Johnny Love with cystic fibrosis, I did what all dummies should never do. I googled cystic fibrosis. And at the top of the line, top line, there is no known cure. Well, that's nothing anybody wants to read. There's no known cure. It started out feeling impossible. So now I don't have a wife at home who's using her faith to go through her battle. Now she's home crying because her daughter's going through a battle and her granddaughter's been given a diagnosis of it's incurable. So you can imagine our house over the last three months has just been an emotional roller coaster. Good news, bad news, good news, worse news, bad news, good news, sort of good news, bad news. And then you just have to have faith. And you do in those moments start, because I, I, you know, I'm out on a prayer wall like, come on, God. Like, I don't need this whole when it rains it pours speech. I don't need who is it, the devil. I just need you to help me. Like, I've been there. I know what impossible feels like. It's not fun. I don't wish it on anybody, but I want to be smart enough and, and uh, wise enough to understand if there weren't, this is my thought, if there were not impossible things we would face, why would I need faith? Because faith is given to me to overcome the impossible. Otherwise, logic works for all of us. Go to school, get educated, read some good books, come through it logically. But anytime you have impossibility, it requires faith. Impossible requires faith. Let's go to the life of Joseph that my daughter read. It's just six verses long. But I want to show you the crisis of his faith and what I've learned through this that I've applied for myself. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Good news. But before the marriage took place, kind of iffy news, while she was still a virgin, great news, she's not been shacking up with other brothers. She became pregnant, terrible news, through the Holy Spirit, good news. Joseph, who was engaged and was still righteous, good news, didn't want to disgrace her, bad news, so he decided to break the engagement, bad news. The whole thing is just filled with ups and downs of emotions. 
The weirdness is this story that we talk about Jesus started out this way. It started out rather weird. It started out with a guy who is about to plan his honeymoon, his bucket list to marry his bride. She's a virgin. They're in love. And God is about to royally mess a brother up. Because now his bride-to-be gets pregnant. That probably ticked him off. I'm just going to go with logic. You got pregnant from another bro. Was it my best friend? Was it Bartholomew? Come on, honey. Who did you shack up with? I noticed he's been looking at you because he knew you were a virgin. You got to tell me who you've been sleeping with. She says, yes, God. And you, I just don't think Joseph went, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, gee, that makes me feel better that God got you pregnant. You don't even have a thought. Like my thought would be, wait, 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 back up, back up. What? What did you, you just said God got you pregnant. Like God, now I'm just a man. God came off his throne, took off his tunic, and slept with you? No, you're an idiot. I don't want to be married to you, ho. No. And thank God they called him a righteous man. So I guess in something, he had something in him he didn't want to kill her because he said, I don't want to divorce her publicly. I'm going to divorce her, just not publicly. I'm not sleeping with her. I don't want her. She's trash. She's used goods. She's a liar. She's a manipulator because God has never gotten anybody pregnant. Why would you even use that stupid excuse? Now the weird thing, it just appears to... Whose side of the coin you want to be on here? Her side is, the Lord picked me. I'm highly favored. I'm a virgin of the Lord, impregnated by God. I mean, it's wonderful. Her faith is glowing. His faith is, you must be kidding. I've been screwed over here. I got done wrong. God did me wrong. God did me wrong. Not the devil. God did it to me. God got her pregnant. You can, I mean, I'm just guessing. You know his brain had to be doing flips. We, we, we just romanticize this too much. Oh, she got pregnant. Joseph wanted a divorce. Like he's over there going, oh, I'm so proud you got pregnant by God. I'm not marrying you though, but I love you. Like, like there's not a, hey, fellas, there ain't, a, there ain't a man in here. If your wife came home today and said, I'm pregnant, your first thought would be, it wasn't me, was it? Me? I've been to the vet. I can't get you pregnant. Oh, Lord. Your next thought, who you been sleeping with? You're not going to think, this is the most joyful moment of my life. When Robin told me we were having Stella at 40 years old on my birthday, she said, I'm pregnant. I'm like, it's impossible. Can't, can't. She's like, no, I am. I'm pregnant. Like, we weren't planning Stella. Stella was like, God said, you need one more to really help you all out. So he gave us number four. Boom, number four. It literally took me two weeks to get over it. I was like, oh, God. Oh, another kid. Hopeless. I'm going to go broke. I can't afford another one. Y'all know how much bras cost and panties? How much hair care and makeup costs? I got three of them. How many weddings? I'm going to have three weddings. That's like 50 grand a wedding. Oh, God, they're going to have to elope or go to Dollar General and do a wedding there. Oh. Ah, even if you don't believe in speaking in tongues, you have four girls. It's like, <laughs> so you can imagine at the bottom, it looks in blue, it looks romantic. He broke the engagement, but let's just put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Life was not going the way he wanted it to. And he could definitely blame it all on God. Next verse, verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, all that had to happen is God had to step into the equation and say, Quinn, look, you're, you're seeing it all wrong. You're looking at it from logic. Let me come into the equation and help help bring you back to true north. And this was the true north. Don't be afraid. I'm working here. And the Holy Spirit's doing something. 
What I have found out at every battle when I feel like it's not going my way and I'm not getting what I want and I feel like God himself may even be against me, I've always learned to take a moment to consider where is God in this? Because that's all the angel had to do is just pull him back and say, hey, buddy, 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 don't divorce her. There's a Holy Ghost thing going on here and don't be afraid. Because I found anytime things aren't going our way, fear is the first thing to take over. And the fear of where's God? The fear of why did God do this? But the angel says, don't fear, God's working. So one thing you have to start telling yourself at every battle, as dark as it may seem and as terrible as it may feel, you have to train your spiritual faith mind against logic to say, I don't know what's going on, I can't understand it, but I guarantee you God is working. He's not going to leave me alone. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to leave me high and dry. And God's not doing something to mess my life up. I just need to tweak how I see this thing. Otherwise, I'll get hopeless. Next verse. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will bring forth birth to a son and they We'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of my bucket list going south, in the middle of bad news, I didn't want to break my engagement. I love this girl. My brain's doing flips. I have to bring myself to understanding that in the midst of every dark moment, I'm going to have to grab hold of Scripture. I'm going to have to grab hold of a truth that's beyond my logic i got to grab hold. That's why he said, look, to fulfill something through the prophet here. In other words, God's just not doing something off a whim. God's just not trying to mess a brother's life up. God is doing something scriptural. And I have found in my personal walk that every battle I go through, this is my opinion, I believe God has a specific rhema scripture for that battle. He has a prophet moment. In other words, Mark, you're seeing it all wrong, but if you'll seek me for a moment, you'll turn to me. I will speak to you supernaturally, and I will redirect your, your compass here, and I'll put you on true north, and I'll give you a scripture that won't just be a Bible verse that you got in devotion. It will breathe the breath of heaven itself, and it will go into your soul, and it will burn and tattoo your spirit so that you will hold on to it like glue, and it will cause you to keep moving in the faithfulness of God. Why? Because God spoke out of his word beyond my reason. In other words, my reason is out here, my logic is out here, but God brings the prophetic word in to say, hey buddy, buddy, hey, look over here. Okay, I want to give you this. Hold on to that mark. You see, this book isn't just about a devotion book for a cup of coffee over Starbucks. It is my true north in the time of a battle. It, it is what God gives me to get me through the moment. And then this thought, it says this in his, in his dark moment. He said, oh, just understand what I'm doing is, is going to be defined as God is with you. So in the middle of a battle, a dark moment, a, a bad bucket list, a, a bad report that I did not want, I always have to remind myself, God is with me. Now, I know in my life there's been times I'm like, where's he at? I feel like he's on vacation. I feel like he's really busy over in the Middle East. Something. Because he sure doesn't feel like he's with me right now. I feel like he's ignoring me. I feel like he's mad maybe. I don't know. But I've had to train myself in faith that when my logic says God is not listening to me, God is not here, and God is not answering my prayers, that's logic, I turn to my faith and go, He is always with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So sometimes I just have to turn around to me and go, Shut up, Mark! And then I have to turn around and go, he's always with me. Right. And then my head is, it's incurable. She won't get better. She'll die before she gets old. Your wife's going to die. It won't go well. She's going to have cancer. You'll never grow old together. Shut up! And then I have to grab hold of God again. Yeah. So I'm not acting like this is a romantic thing here of faith. It is a battle. I've cried more in the last three months than I've cried in years. I've had a long talks with God, but I'm here to tell you, he gives you faith to keep you steady so you don't go insane. So in the middle of a battle, you don't have to fake it. You genuinely do have peace. You genuinely do have joy. You genuinely know he is faithful, and all I got to do is just hold on to his faithfulness. 
And then the final verse, this, man, this really helped me. And so Joseph woke up, and he did as the angel commanded and took Mary, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. Well, that messes a brother. Most of you women are like, whew, that's good, nine months without him. But for him, who's wanting to get married, who's probably already taking cold showers, pawing at the dust, this is my bride. Man, I can't wait to marry her. I'm so excited here. She's the joy of my life. She is everything to me. And now God's messed that up. God had to reshift how he thinks. And then God's like, oh, and by the way, (laughs) I'm just going to tell you why she's praying. You're not going to be able to consummate your marriage and have sex with her. So just nine months of dry. Nine months of you just having to hold on and wait. And the one thing I found out about faith is sometimes God's not quite as in a hurry as you are. And He needs some things to incubate a while while you learn to be patient and trust Him. We can at least say it took eight months. And yet some people don't make it a week or two before they're ticked at God. This brother has to wait nine months while he's watching something play out that was not his idea, it was not his bucket list, and he's just having to sit here and go, God, I don't even understand this. Pregnant by God. I don't even know how to tell my friends. They're not going to believe me either. I guess I'll just tell them it was me, we'll get married. Or Oh, Jesus. I mean, you can really imagine how he's trying to process this. Nine months. And then to have to, here's the weird thing, to have to believe it with Mary and not just chalk her up as she's insane. He had to bring his faith in. So he doesn't have sex with her for nine months, but then it ends this way. At the end of nine months, and Joseph, this is about the last, there's not much mention of Joseph in the Bible, but it gives us something here about him that's beautiful, and Joseph named him Jesus. So for all you people here that when you pray today at lunch and you go, Father, thank you for this food, we bless it, and then you, the Christian thing is, in Jesus' name, or now I lay me down to sleep, in Jesus' name, and they teach you to always pray in Jesus' name, and there's no higher name than Jesus, and Jesus is the name above all names. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. That name, Jesus, that you pray and believe in came from a man that got done wrong in life, but chose to believe God anyway. It wasn't Mary that named him. It was daddy, stepdaddy. Stepdaddy Joseph hung around long enough and endured the pain and the trial long enough that God let him name his son. And so to this day, you and I enjoy the faith of a man that endured. He doesn't get much grace after this. He shows up in weird places a few more times, but this is the most beautiful thing about Joseph. When he could have tucked tail and ran, when he could have copped an attitude, when he could have said, God did me wrong, when he could have said, why God, why me, why my wife, why did you mess up my marriage, why did you mess up my engagement, something about his faith hung in there and he endured to the end and when he got to the end, the Father God said, name him Jesus. And Joseph named him Jesus. And you pray to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that saved the world. So in the middle of a man's mess, because he endured and he became part of God's process and he trusted God even against his own logic, name the very kid that we pray to and name the very kid that every devil of hell bows down to. Daddy hung around long enough with his faith to be able to name the boy. That is profound to me. Telling me this, this is what I get out of that. Sometimes the trials you go through right now and the pressure of life right now, this is bad English, it ain't about you. It's about your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And if you're not careful, you'll get in the middle of a battle, cop an attitude, quit coming to church, stop reading your Bible. Where's God? He never works. And it's not about you anyway. It's about your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Because if daddy will stay strong in the faith, everybody's going to reap. My children will reap because of it. My grandchildren will reap because of it. 
Do I want to quit? There have been times I've wanted to quit. Have I questioned where's God? Yes, many times. Have I wanted to know why me? Probably a hundred times. Have I wondered why he won't bring the healing when I need him to bring the healing? Many times. But I want to, I want to say this publicly. My heart is to stay in the game. My heart is not to throw in the towel. My heart is not to become a whiner, a powder, a criticizer, and a bemoaner, and a depressed man going, why me? My heart is to stay up. God, give me a message. Give me a scripture. Let me trust your faithfulness. And if I'll trust your faithfulness, I will be part of a generational thing of faith here that even my grandchildren will reap. And yet what we have to, this is an opinion, so please forgive me, but I'm going to chunk it while I'm chunking. I, I just think that the, the last 10 years of the American church has grown nothing but weak, anemic, pansy men. Just wimpy men, men who don't know how to fight, men who don't know how to stand for their families, men who don't know how to pray, men who don't know how to war, just weak, wimpsy men who go to work and play golf and go fish and go hunt and do nothing wrong with that. I'm not mad at anybody. I feel like I'm mad. Let me read it in. Okay. I'm not mad at you. I've had my own self do that. But I'm watching hell kind of just come in our world and I'm seeing how many Christians are just falling apart in anemic, weak faith. Man, stand up and bow your shoulders back. We serve an alive God. We serve a God that's bigger than a disease and bigger than a problem and bigger than a marriage problem. And if he is God, he's always bigger than my problem. I just have to hold on to that. And no, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why babies still die and some people die young and why they're... I don't have all the answers, but I just know he's faithful. And I want to hold on to that. I, I, I had lunch with Michael, who has, you know, been struggling. Why my child? And they're, they're getting their fate together. And so we did lunch yesterday. And I said, Michael, do you remember our conversation and, uh, when you asked to marry my daughter? Olivia. And he said, yeah. I said, you remember we were there and you, you wanted to marry. And I said, well, Michael, before I say yes, I want to say this. I said, all I ask is that you be a priest of your home. I said, because I've, I've prayed over my baby. I've cried over my baby. I've warred over her. I've blessed her every night of her life. And I said, if I'm going to pass that off to you, and she's going to become your bride, the only thing I ask, I don't care about jobs. I don't care about money. I need to know, can you be a priest for her? Can you lead her when times are hard to the feet of God? If you can tell me yes, you can marry her. And he said, I think I can. And I said, well, I'll help you. I've had people help me. So he marries my daughter. And now here they are in the hospital with news that's pretty depressing on the surface. Your child you've birthed is incurable. And so we're eating lunch over that yesterday. And I said, do you remember when I told you that? He said, yeah. I said, well, Michael, I don't mean this negative. I said, but son, now it's time to pull your pants up and become the priest. This is when you're needed. This is not the time to pout and cry and why and when. This is time for you to buckle up and grab hold of God and lead your family, your daughter, and your wife to God. And he said, that's what I feel like God's told me to do and I'm trying to do. And I said, well, you'll have a whole church behind you helping you. Because sometimes life does throw us a curve but we have to hold fast. So I don't know who that's for. But All right, so let me do this. I'll be real quick. I want to run through, and you can jot them down. I want to run through, when things are impossible, how to live for the possible. All right? And they're quick. I'll run through them quick and let you study them this week. I feel like I've said enough, but I, I want to get the points to you. Here's the first one. You just When you're in a battle and things are not going good, you just have to start with point one. You've got to believe there's a God. And if you don't know this is a hard one, it is hard when things aren't going your way to even wonder, where's God, man? Is he real? I mean, that's a real battle for people, especially when they're in a battle. Is God real? Is he really there? I can't see him. I can't feel him. If he is, why me? So you have to come to that. The second one is this. You also have to believe that that real God will reward you. God is not trying to teach you something through the pain. You, you, you'll probably learn something. We all do. But God's not trying to teach you something through pain. The Word and the Spirit teach us. 
But in that pain, if I'm not careful, I can cop an attitude and start thinking God's against me rather than for me. And I can forget He's really wanting to reward me and I can start thinking He's against me. And anytime you feel like God's against you, you'll, you'll lose hope. So you have to believe He'll reward you. Here's the scripture for that. Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without faith. So there will be times you're going to feel it's impossible, but He gives you faith. And anyone who wants to come must believe that God exists. In, in other words, you're just going to have to settle that fact. You will never do good in a battle if every time the battle comes, you're having to spend three weeks determining if God is real or not. You just need to either settle it. If He is, serve Him. If He's not, go do what you want to do. It's your choice. But there's nothing worse that every time a battle comes, you're having to go spend three weeks. Is God really real? You have to settle that in faith. And then this, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. He's a rewarder. But watch what He rewards. People who earnestly seek Him. Meaning when, when life throws you a curve and it hits you in the chest, it's really hard to seek Him. I mean, genuinely. Because the first thing to do is run to logic. Let me Google the stats for this. Let me Google Robin's cancer. Let me Google this thing and get all these stats and start seeking everything else, opinions of other people. What do you think? And God says, well, if you really want to, me to reward you, Mark, you need to seek me. And if you'll seek me, so now this has been hard. I've not always done well with it. But when I find myself in a battle now, before I pout or lose it or get fearful or negative or whatever we can, I really try to stop and go, okay, I need to seek God here. And I would just challenge you to do that. Like just take a moment and go, I want to seek God here. Robin and I, I'll, I'll tell you how passionate I am about this. You may laugh, but I'm just that's how passionate I am about it is that Robin and I decided at every chemo we would take communion. And so we get up and we're running late, all right? And she's like, we got to go, we got to go. And I'm like, we got to do communion. We can't go. We, we promised we would do communion together. We got to do it. She goes, honey, we got to go. We got to be there. We got to drive all the way to Atlanta. So we get in the car and we're driving to Atlanta. I said, honey, I can't go and let you do, let you do chemo without communion. I said, I'm stopping at the Marathon gas station. I stopped the Marathon gas station. I'm getting communion elements from Marathon. You... <laughs> You know you're desperate when you're in redneck Villarica looking for communion elements. So I go into this, this, this gas station. I'm like, communion, all right, grape juice. they got to have grape juice, grape juice, grape juice. Oh, God, no grape juice. So then I just see over here, anybody ever been to an old marathon? It's the cheap wine. For they bring out the cheap wine first. I'm like, just grab the wine. So I just grab the cheap wine. It's redneck wine all the way. But I'm like, I, I got to have something. And I, I just felt really sacrilegious to let it be Diet Coke. And so I, I grabbed the wine. <laughs> I thought I'm Pentecostal. I'll go to hell if I drink wine. But I feel like God will be so angry if I do communion with a Diet Coke. I'm going with a wine. Oh, God, don't let my mother find out. <laughs> so I'm not against drinking, by the way. I, I, I need to re-clarify that. Preacher said he was an alcoholic. We need to go. He said he wanted to get drinking. Break out the Bud Light. Honey, it's Christmas. <laughs> I'll let that just slide a little bit. <laughs> so I had, the, I had the wine, and now i got to have bread, right? Oh, there's no bread. No bread anywhere. And then I felt sacrilegious to do it with a toasty cracker. And so this is how redneck it was. We took communion with marathon wine and hot dog buns. <laughs> I know Jesus is up there going, what? Oh, no, Mark, Mark. And I know God's like, reward him anyway. Just reward He's seeking us. And me and Robin just laughed. I said, honey, it's the first time in 30 years I've ever taken communion with a hot dog bun. <laughs> I don't know if it worked, but I, I, was, I earnestly sought him. I could at least say, God, I was earnestly seeking you. And I'll get up there and he's like, really, Mark? Hot dog buns. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, forever. Thank you. All right, the next one. I don't want to take your time, right? All right, you got to hold on to a promise. And I don't mean just coffee and a devotion. I mean, I genuinely believe this, and I don't mind helping you, you know, understand it later. And, uh, but I believe at every battle, there's a promise for you. Amen. A real promise. Out of 66 books of the Bible, there's something. So when Robin called me and said, I have a diagnosis of breast cancer, I went on a prayer walk. I said, this was my prayer. God, you have to talk to me, please. 
I need to hear you. I don't want my wife to die. I need you to tell me. And I heard God in my heart, what I perceived to be God, read Psalm 24. And I did. And it said, who is the king of glory? The Lord, invincible. Invincible in battle. Oh, and when I read that, you, man. I felt like everything. I literally felt like all the angels of heaven just came off the throne and just went. And I heard that invincible in battle. And on that prayer walk, I just felt my faith rise off of one scripture. But it was a scripture come from heaven to my heart. And you need that in a battle. God, give me that. And I've been and I've been holding on to that. When they called about Johnny Love, Robin said, how do you feel? I said, I'll tell you exactly how I feel. It is the Lord who's invincible in battle. All right, give you a scripture here for this one so you can have a word for it. Romans 4. Abraham never wavered in believing the promise, but his faith grew stronger. It's the promise out of the Bible that will cause your faith to grow stronger. And it will cause you not to waver. Worst thing to do in a problem is to enlist people that aren't faith-filled. Because it'll, it'll, it, you'll become unconvinced. The next one. I'm running through them quick. At all costs, keep hope alive. Because once you lose hope, man, it's just hard to come out of it. And I'll say this. I don't mean this rude. But some of you need to ditch negative complaining people. Because when you hit a battle, the last thing you need is a whiner on your team. And you just might have to go check ear out for a while. I, I'm not asking you to be mean to people. But I'm just saying when you're fighting for life, you don't need negative whining, complaining. I thought God, no, I don't need that right now. I need somebody that can wield a sword with me and fight for me and fight with me. But I will tell you in a battle, if you're not careful, man, you'll start reading things off Google, hearing other people's stories, listen to other whiners who are going to get divorced too, and the devil will send a bunch of birds of a feather to start flocking with you to rob you of hope. You just got to be wise there. You just got to know, man, I don't need to fly with these birds because they're really hurting my faith here. All right, and here's a scripture for that one. Even when there was no reason for hope, and I hate this next comma, Abraham kept hoping. That tells me something that not every prayer is answered immediately. I wish they were, but they're not. Otherwise, there wouldn't be comma, he kept hoping. The very nature of kept hoping means you don't always get it from God immediately. The reality of the, I won't say the reality, the manifestation of it. That's why you need faith. Faith keeps you to keep hoping. Faith keeps me hoping. Faith keeps me hoping. Keep hoping. I have faith while I wait on this thing to play out. All right, the next one. Uh, this is just not fun. There's nothing romantic about this one. Endure. And if you'll endure, you'll inherit. If you'll make it all the way to the end of the fight and not throw in the towel... And not start cursing your life and cursing God in your marriage because you've had a bad day. And then this, I wrote, I added this later because I felt like it may say it better. In, in battles, there's just no magic bullet. I wish there was. There's just no magic silver bullet. It's faith for everybody. And the bullet is different for all of us. Because for one, it'll be this scripture. For another one, it will be this action. For another one, it will be do this. For another, because the Father is involved in the process. So faith is it. And the magic bullet is it, it, you're just going to have to say, it's just what God gives me, not somebody else. Well, here's a scripture. Our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Now, if it doesn't come true in the time you want it, be careful, verse 12, you can become spiritually dull and indifferent. And instead, you need to follow the example of those who are going to inherit. So here's what I'd say. In any battle you have, don't become dull. Don't become indifferent. Don't just go, well, if God wants to, he will. Huh? Don't become indifferent. Keep fighting and holding on. And then I would highly recommend getting you some people in your mix that you can follow an example. Thank God for my mom and dad. Thank God for Robin's parents, Chris Redmond, David Stone, Umar, Burl, men in my life that I follow who have great stories that give me hope, and you need that. All right, last one is this, and then we'll take communion. Abraham waited patiently, received 
what God has promised. So you got to wait it out sometime. This is a hard one. I've tried to live it without pouting. It will be beautiful if you give it time. Sometimes the mess you're in, you're just going to have to hold on and endure in faith. And if you will, God will make it beautiful. I can say this. There have been fights I've entered that I didn't want to enter. I didn't wish. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. But because I had good people who discipled me well and helped me, because I didn't give up on God, this is, this is true now, God has done such works in my life that in every mess and battle I've been through, He's made something beautiful out of it. I, now, there were times I didn't feel like He was doing anything, and it didn't feel very beautiful. But when you come through it and look back, you go, man, God's good. He's beautiful. Here's the scripture. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is why you need faith. Because sometimes you just can't see what God is up to. And it feels like you're in a dark lonely place and God's abandoned you but he said I just want you to know if you'll give me time to work I will not abandon you for I'm Emmanuel God with you and I'm faithful and you can trust me and so I will just say whatever it is you're fighting today going through today I pray you come back next week because what I want to do is just walk you through how do you get through a battle to hold on to what God has promised you so you don't become crazy and mental, throw in the towel, wave the white flag and give up on God, but we really grow in our faith and become stronger. I hope that helped you. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I hope you were blessed by that. <laughs> now, here's... I don't, I don't mean to sound selfish on this, but it's just, why not, right? We talk about community every week. Today, as we end, we end every week with communion and... Um, I'm just asking again, very personal, uh, if, you, if you would take communion for my granddaughter and for Michael and Olivia because, you know, the word hanging over them is incurable. But I just, in a weird way, have faith beyond that. I have faith beyond the logic of that. And I know it's going to take faith. I understand I understand that. I'm not trying to deny that at all. I know the reality is uh, it's an incurable thing, but I also know the reality of God. And He can do the impossible. And He can do what we can't do. And He never abandons us. And so I believe today this communion is a great way to invite you as our family into our battle so that we don't have to battle alone. Um, you know, for Robin as well, continue but specifically for Michael and Olivia today who are in the hospital. They're really believing they can come home this week. So that would be a great prayer. Father, let them come home. Uh, Johnny Love desperately needs to put on weight. She's been doing it, but they need her to put on more so she can come home. That would be a great prayer. Uh, peace and joy would be a great prayer. Absence of fear would be a great prayer to pray. Total healing would be a great prayer to pray. But as you come forward today, it would be an honor as a shepherd of this house if you would maybe just take this communion today for my family and for my daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter and take communion and put your faith with our faith and let's believe that God can do something in the middle of a battle. So, Father, we thank you uh, that you're just awesome and good and you're, you're profoundly faithful. This, I don't know who this is for, maybe me, but I feel it in my heart. There's an old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto. I don't know who that's for, but it's a great way to go through a battle is looking at his faithfulness and not your failure 
his faithfulness and not your problems. So, Father, for the communion today, I bless it. I ask that the body and the blood of Jesus Christ broken for us would be on our heart. I pray that our confession would be that you are Lord, Lord of our life, Lord of creation. Pray this with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, today I confess Jesus is Lord. He's not a mystic, a historical figure. He's the God of all creation. He's the King of kings, and He is Lord. I lay my life down to Him. I take this communion now in the name of Jesus as Jesus' substitute for my life, for my wholeness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 